My name is Chad Harrington, and I hosted the first ever Nashville Writers Collective quarterly gathering. This recording you're about to hear is from the fall 2018 cohorts, our first all-collective gathering. We have two cohorts this year. My friend Trezor Yeni, who wrote Journey to the Heart of Darkness, Remembering Congo's Forgotten, was our guest speaker. He's now working on his second book, so he can tell more stories. If you want to join the Nashville Writers Collective, it's a group of professional writers in Nashville who help each other hone their writing skills through accountability, honest feedback, and face-to-face meetings. Go to NashvilleWritersCollective.com and request an invite to apply. Also, if you hear a baby in the background at any point in this recording, it's my seven-week-old daughter, Emma. Again, go to NashvilleWritersCollective.com to uh, request an invite to join. Uh, If you're a professional writer and you need encouragement as a writer, accountability, honest feedback, and just connection with other writers, it may be a good fit for you. Here's Trezor. My name is uh, Trezor. Trezor uh, for English speakers. I was actually telling Chad uh, when I moved back to the Congo, after living 11 years in the, in the U.S., and they would say my name correctly, I didn't know they were actually talking to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just used to... Used to people like me. <laughs> I still can't pronounce your name right. Well, I just adopted it as one of the ways to say my name. <laughs> oh, but... Uh, iterations of your name. Y- yes. But I, I think, like, uh, to me, um, one of the things that Chad and I have discussed around tea... We had this tradition that Chad would come to, uh, to, to my host family and we would, ha- we, would have, we would share tea. And one of the things we talked a lot about was um, stories and the importance of stories. Like I, I come from, from a society that's mostly an oral society. And so to me, when I write, I see it in two different ways. When I write, I see stories as a way to pass on knowledge and to pass on history. Because in, uh, in African societies, what you will find one of the key people in the community is the storyteller. Because this is the person who knew the whole story of the community. He was the one who knew how things function. And at some point, he will get someone else and tell them the story. So my, as I was growing up, um, my mom and dad would sit us down uh, under the moonlight and they would tell us all these stories. This is what your great-grandfather did, and this is what your grandmother did, and this is, this is why people from our tribe eat this and they don't eat that. And some of them were like weird stories on this is why you don't go to the river because there's a monster there. But all these things, but there are ways that kind of um, stayed in there. So stories were really important to us because they were, they are a way to keep the culture going. So this is one of the my my motivations as far as writing is to tell the story, and um, I'm actually gonna share a little bit of a reason why I started writing. I shared, I, I shared just a little bit before um, when Chad asked me. But when I was headed back to my country the very first time, someone handed me a, handed me a, a journal. 
I wasn't used to writing, though I liked telling stories. But um, Judy told me to, to write. And as I went, I met many people, and I saw so many stories, and I heard many stories, including a lady that I met, and this lady was a rape victim. And she told me everything that happened to her, and she said, you go and tell my story, so no other woman will go through what I went through. So that was, we could take it as a call to action on, okay, she told me this, so maybe I need to make sure I start a campaign or something so um, we take care of her. But maybe what she wanted was what the storyteller was supposed to do, was to actually tell that story so that the next generation doesn't make the same mistakes as the one that did that to her. And so I left that place, I had a picture of her. The next day I wanted to come back and interview her, but they couldn't find her. So from whatever I remembered, I wrote down in my journal what she said. I wrote it down and from that point on it was my story and their story. Everyone I met in that journey, I was telling their story. And I thought it was as important to be able to pass on whatever their story was as it was, for example, to be drilling wells. That, that aspect was very important. Being able to put that in writing to me, that was a motivation for me, knowing that um, I, was, I was writing for, for something bigger than myself. So um, today I... I moved back to the Congo, new chapter in my life. Really interesting, a lot of chapters in my life have a character in them, it's that guy over there. So, um, around 2014, we hadn't talked for a while. Chad shows up in Joplin, and it always involves food. <laughs> we go to Hackett Hot Wings, and we... We ate, I don't know how many wings we ate. And, and so at the end, it was just, oh, let's take a picture. And we take a picture together. And I still have that picture. And he said, hey, you know, I've known you since when you came to the U.S. And if you doubt that you're ready to move back, I can tell you I see you already. And so I looked at someone who knew my story, who has walked through that story with me, and was kind of giving me that affirmation, it's, you can move on to that next chapter. So I moved back to, to the Congo, and I drill wells and try to get people water and get them food. But I think the key aspect of that, something that's really important, and that's why after 10 years I decided to write again, was that behind all those wells and all those pictures, there were stories of people that needed to be told. And, it, and someone needed to write that story. Someone needed to, to be able to look into their lives and share that with others. And that really became my motivation. So I guess everyone has a motivation on why they, they write and why it's important for them to write. But I don't think that there is any, any motivation that's higher than any, anything else. 
I think whatever motivates you, whatever drives you, you just need to do more and uh, and keep going. But what really drives me to write is that two aspect is that I feel like yes, people can uh, can can look at me as someone who do charity work, but I also see myself as someone who is a storyteller who is responsible to pass on the stories of those people so they are not forgotten. So that's, um, that's really what the, the book I'm, I'm working on is. It's a kind of a, I'm writing a collection of stories. And so I, I took more uh, stories that happened from Hackett Hot Wings that day to uh, this summer. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of split them into, I call them stories of grace stories of hope and stories of victory, kind of looking at um, my, my journey through that time and, and being able to, to share it. Stories of grace, like stories of, of reconciliation, being able, I don't know if I told you about washing the feet of uh, someone from the other tribe. Mm. Stories that, so I, my country was in war for years, and as a child I was I was told through stories that there was another ethnic group and they were always our enemies. And this man that I met from in, in Indianapolis, of all the places in the U.S., is from the other ethnic group and he was raised to know through stories that my people were the enemy. So we find ourselves in the same room invited by American friends who didn't know our backgrounds. So they were like, hey, um, you know what? We have some friends from the Congo and we've invited them over. Let's go get some some food. Can you cook for them? And so I'm busy in the kitchen cooking and someone knocks at the door. They walk in and I look. I was like, what? You didn't tell me you were inviting them. (laughs) And they looked at me. And it's all quiet. So our friends have no clue what's going on, what's the dynamics of all this happens. But it's really two stories that are colliding in that moment. And um, we had the opportunity of writing a new story and being able to pass it on to the, uh, to the next generation. Because we, for the first time in my life, I shared a meal with someone from the, from the other tribe. We were talking in Swahili, and our American friends, they were there, they were just like, oh, this is so great, and all. they had no clue what was going on. <laughs> I, I, like, there was just like, well, like, there was like a peace treaty being signed right there, and they didn't, they, they didn't know what was going on. But that led into that man, uh, he led in an ethnic church in, uh, in Indianapolis, and he said, hey, you, you need to come. I'll invite you to, to, to my church. And I would like for you to come and speak at my church. And I'm thinking, if someone from my tribe find out that I went there, I'm dead. And I'm thinking, and I'm pretty sure he thought the same thing. But I ended up. It was uh, it was Easter. I ended up going there, and I I never faced so much hostility because when I walked in. He had become my friend, but everyone from his tribe, no one, we, we are in the church. And as soon as 
I sat down on that pew, everyone stood up and left. Uh, we walked out with two of my American friends, and when they would go, they would shake their hands and they would skip me. So I, I thought, well, story need to be written today. And so when, when he called me up, up stage, I, I went with a bucket of water. And I asked him to sit down. I took off his shoes and washed his feet. He did the same. And we, we did that in front of over 200 people. And none of them could actually believe that that was possible because both our stories told us that we were supposed to hate each other. And that day we wrote a story that meant that it was possible to have something else than that. And um, today he's my friend. And people still talk about that story of what happened in that little church in Indianapolis. Uh, two men from all the way there in the Congo, somehow a story of reconciliation happens in an American family's dining room and ends up with the most beautiful story of grace. So um, that's why I write for more of that, for a different way of, um, of viewing the world and, and, and changing what happens for the next generations to, to actually have a, a story to, to live by. And then they can pass it on and say it doesn't have to be like that. There's a story that says this. So this is my motivation and uh, that's what I'm, I'm working on. Hopefully I've, I'll have it done by, <laughs> by the summer next year. But I'm, I'm trying to be diligent and, and getting that worked out. So I'm really glad for the opportunity you, yeah. you gave me today. And, um, Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I'm glad to see you again. <laughs> yeah, like he literally came to the house at like six. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just like, we're going to hang out after you guys leave or tomorrow. Um, you're leaving yeah, tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. That's Trezor's presentation. I just wanted to pause here because what follows is a series of questions and answers about Trezor's writing style. So if you can't hear the questions, well, that's because the recording didn't pick them up, but I think you can infer. Enjoy. Well, um, there's a in, very interesting process that, that happened. So when I came to the U.S. in 2004, I, I wrote in, in French. Then I found a way to translate it. Um, the process of writing my first book was mostly like an ESL. I had an ESL um, level in, in, in English. Well, what I found out after having spent about 10 years in America was that I was thinking in English. So the way even like um, the couple of editors who have kind of looked at my, my writing, they both told me that it was, it was a lot different from, from my first one. And I think it's because um, spending time here kind of changed the way I, um, I thought. So I think more in English. And now, two different processes again. I was, like I said, I, I hand wrote my journal on the first one. Um, and I think I was very, I was, 
I felt compelled to to write it like that. Uh, this one, it, it was more planned out, and I wanted to to really think through. I had several stories that I wanted in the book, but I wanted all of them to kind of serve the same process, uh, purpose. So, um, but uh, I come from a family of storytellers, so um, stories were really they just. <laughs> they, they, they just move up there and it's just a, a way to capture them and turn them from um, from what I think here to where someone can read it and also gain something from them. And who's your publisher for this one? Uh, there's a, uh, a, uh, a small uh, organization called the Nehemiah uh, Project. And the other one will actually approach me and say, hey, uh, why don't you write another book? And they gave you a deadline. And they, <laughs> g- they gave me a deadline. And, uh, and I was just like, I don't know if I like this. That's why I don't write anymore. <laughs> but it was kind of like one of those things. That I felt like I was ready to, to write again. And um, so... Um, it's it's going it's going well. Once I started that one, I started having ideas to write more. So I'm kind of just like, when I'm bored with this one, I'm kind of like working on this other one back there. So, <laughs> so I'm a very big fan of Lord of the Rings, and one of the things like. Uh, I love watching those. Actually, there was times when um, I watched all. I would read the books and then watch all the movies. But I felt when I moved back to Congo that there was uh, we had all these stories, but there wasn't like this great fictional story. So I've been kind of I've been working. That's kind of the little thing I'm working on back there. Is Yes, like that kind. That, yeah, that's that's really what I'm I'm working on, and and so it's um kind of just to give you a little bit of the story. So I took um, I studied old African kingdoms, uh, what they looked like, what their traditions were, and all that, and then I built a story around it. And so uh, this prince is on a quest to recover the secrets of of his people. And he has to go and fight different uh, different groups. And so, what he uses as weapons are like things I saw from uh, studying the story. But then, you know, there's really no horses in um, uh, in in Africa. But there are stories that the pygmies, for example, would were able to tame the zebra and. Some of them, they said they would write them. So in the story, they actually write the zebras. I introduce like the okapi. I I introduce all these rare animals and kind of like a way for people to really discover them in in that. So I'm. That's cool. Yeah, I I don't know how it's gonna look like at the end, but I'm really uh, wanting to 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 make something great and like a, a great story, but at the same time where someone will look at this creature and say, what is this? And go look, oh, it lives in this forest in Africa. Mm-hmm. Or this is uh, inspired by um, this kingdom in, in Africa. So, yeah.
well, all, all they told him was Emmanuel was coming. And they said, oh, well, they looked at each other and said, what language does he speak again? And I said, I know, they were not sure. And I was like, does he speak, does he speak French? And I said, oh, maybe. Does he speak Swahili? I'm not sure. And I was just like, what, who's that guy? And <laughs> when they walked in, there was just, there was just like some uh, facial features and when he introduced himself and, and all that. So the, it became very awkward because him and his brother, there was him, his brother and his wife. I was, cu- I was cooking in the kitchen. Him and his brother barely shook my hand and went to the living room and just sat there. And so somebody needed to 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 do the first step, and uh, and so I went towards them and uh, just started a conversation, and that led into the dinner we were having. And so, but I think um, the a key component of the story is actually the the role that uh, Ian and Katie, that family, what they played in all that. But they had no clue <laughs> what was happening there. What but, was the clue? Yeah, yeah, they, they didn't do anything else because that day they were there. All they knew they were they had these friends from Congo and they were talking about something <laughs> in their in their native language. And so it's when they left that I was just I told I told them, do you guys understood what happened here? <laughs> and they look at each other and say, wow. We almost started a war. <laughs> but I think I think that's the, the that's the beauty of the of the story is that it took um, them to bring these two stories together, and the fact that they had a relationship with both uh, me and them, and that even unwillingly they were. They were part of it. They were there at the church as well. So, um, actually, when I go ask for water, they don't give it to me. It's Ian who go ask them for water and hand it to me. So even just that is not. <laughs> it, it, it was like his mediation was a key component of being the bridge between the two stories. Even though geographically we live in the same area in the Congo, it took actually someone from a different continent to be a bridge between our two stories.